Amen. All right, all right. What book of the Bible are we in? James. Hey, if you don't know that, it's almost over now. These are the last two sermons from the book of James, so you missed your big opportunity. Amen. Next week is, somebody help me, Father's Day. That's right. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, we are going to finish this book of James, and primarily, we're going to look at the idea that the church is supposed to function like a family. So this week and next week, as we deal with the idea of fathers, we're going to look at what James is doing here in chapter 5, for the rest of chapter 5, and we're going to talk about how we're supposed to function like a family. It's going to be very important for the message both this morning and next week that you buy into this idea that we are a family. Amen? Uh, if, you, if you read uh, this passage, he started out in James chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, he, he started out, look here, you rich people, and that was all of you. If you were here that week, we, we talked about how uh, that, 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 that qualifies for all of us compared to most of the world. He talked about, hey, you rich people, uh, does anybody remember telling people stuff like, call me after 9 o'clock when my minutes are free? Was anybody a tightwad like me? I refused to get text messaging because they were 10 cents back in the day. And I was like, 10 for a dollar? You out your mind. You better pick up the phone and call somebody. You think, I'm paying 10 cents. Some of y'all ain't never struggled, and it shows. So y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But I remember the days when you had to wait till after 9 o'clock to call me because my minutes was free. I was ignoring you until then because I'm close to the end. I got a week left on these minutes. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. So if you're going to chit-chat, we're going to do it after 9. <laughs> Only important phone calls come in on my minutes. So. But he, he, also, he also, in chapter 5, keeps calling us brothers and sisters. Now, now we do that sometimes in the church, and it's, it's like a term of endearment, but it's more important than that. He calls us brothers and sisters because he wants us to realize that the family of God is just that. It's a family. Because some of the things, especially some of the things we're going to discuss this morning... They don't make any sense at all if you don't buy into the idea that the church is a family. Because some of the stuff James is going to give to us here in chapter 5 is tough to swallow in the most intimate of relationships, okay? So you need to buy into this idea. So this week and next week, which is Father's Day, uh, we're going to introduce seven people that we have in our church family photo. Okay, James is going to introduce us seven people that are in our church family photo. We're going to meet four of them today, and next week uh, for Father's Day, we'll discuss the last three. Now, if you're a fan of uh, stories and such, you know who Snow White is, and you know Snow White had seven characters. What was it? The sneezy and sleepy and happy and grumpy and dopey and bashful and doc. Now, according to James, the church has its own seven characters. And we're going to talk about happy and ouchy and messy and weary and painful and persistent. Uh-huh. So we're going to talk about these as we go through James, beginning with chapter 5, verse 13. James Chapter 5, verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? We dealt with that part last week. 
You should pray. So pay attention to what he says here because it will be important in a few moments. If you are suffering, pray. You should pray. If you're suffering, pray for yourself. That's what he just said. Now we're going to be introduced to our first character. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So let's meet Happy this morning. He's the first one in our church family photo. Here's Happy. These are the people that you just love to be around. This, this is the Sarah and the Pastor Lejeans. These are the ones that when they smile, they just light up the whole room. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you grateful for people like that in your life? These are the people that when they come to church, you're like, let's talk about your problems. And they're like, you know what? God fixed them, and I'm okay. What do you, what do you need? And they're an encourager, and they're always making you feel good about you, and they're always wanting to take on your prayer responsibilities, and you just genuinely feel better for being in their presence. If you got those people in your life, you thank God for those people. Those are the people that when you're low on energy and depleted of, of energy, you find those people, and they feed your soul. Somebody say amen. But notice what he says. He gives instruction to the happy people because you don't just stay happy. You've got to be able to do something to keep your happy charged. He says, if you're happy, sing praises. Okay? So thank God for things that make you cheerful. And if that makes you break out in song, so be it. Okay? What he's talking about here is there's going to be some bad days and there's going to be some good days. And on those good days, that's a good day to sing. On the days that you've got it going on and you feel good about life and you feel good about your relationship with God and with other people, that's a good opportunity to take advantage and do some worship. Amen. Go ahead. See, that was a good time for you to put your hands together and do some worship. I'm training you here. So let me talk about this. When we get together, we do things in this building that you don't do uh, anywhere else. One of those things is sing together in public. Like you don't go to Lowe's and just find five or six random people that don't know each other getting together and breaking out in song in aisle six. But in church, at the end of the sermon, I usually invite the praise team to come back up here. And, and the reason I do that is they're not here to entertain you. Yeah, you're not the audience. I want you to know you're part of the band. God is the audience. So they don't come up here to sing to you. They come up here to lead you as we all sing to him. It's called praise. Now, we're not going to give you a mic because you're not ready. And we're not ready. Okay, But you're, you are part of the band, and it's your job to join in on the praise and worship. Okay, So, so, so we want microphone and record you. And put you on the internet. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, now, that being said, let me say a few things about singing. He says, if you're happy, you should sing. Number one, I want you to know, singing is not just singing. It's a way of praying. Now, now, now James is going to say a lot this week and next week about prayer. But when we're singing together, we're actually praying together. We are putting our voices together in unity, 
And we are rejecting the trouble that we see around us. And we're giving God praise and we're doing it together as a collective body. And the Bible talks about how that is received in heaven. And God receives it like sweet incense. Singing is also how we become emotionally and relationally attached to God. Now, Sunday is Father's Day. So let me just speak specifically to a moment to the men. How many brothers do I have in the house? Let me, let me see. Okay, we got, we got enough men in here for me to just take a moment and speak specifically to you. Okay? Uh, next Sunday's Father's Day. Most men are not very emotional or relational. They usually have two primary emotions, grumpy and sleepy. And the older you get, those are about the only two options they have. <laughs> you, <laughs> you catch them on a good day, they're grumpy. Catch them after they've used all their grumpiness and they're usually pretty sleepy. And those are your options. And so a lot of times when we come to church, the men won't sing. Hello? And that's because men are not emotional and they're not relational. And the way that a man learns how to be emotional and relational is to get attached to his heavenly father. Because if we can learn how to be emotionally attached to him and we can learn how to be relationally attached to him, then that will rub off on all of our other relationships and we can become more vulnerable with other people. Amen. And, and, and so I can be emotional and relational with God, and that means I can be emotional and relational with other people. And a lot of men are emotionally and relationally constipated. And they just don't know how to show their emotions. If you can get men into worship, not only does the church dynamic change, but the whole fi family dynamic changes. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I've been around a long time, and I know that it's usually the women that go to church. It's usually the mothers that read the Bible. It's usually the mothers that pray over their children, and they wish their husbands would do it. And ultimately, many of the men struggle with prayer out loud and singing out loud and worship because to them, it's weird. And the reason it's weird to them is because they never had it modeled for them. And they didn't see any men show them how to do it. My children have seen me cry until I can't contain the tears. My children have seen me worship my God until I can't even speak the English language anymore. I made sure to let them see dad be vulnerable in the presence of his dad because I want them to know it is not strange to worship God. Some people do it a little weirder than that. But worship is not weird. Amen. Worship is as important to your soul as exercise is to your body. Worship is exercise for your soul. Your body needs food. It needs water. Your soul needs worship. And I hear people say all the time, well, I'm just not emotional. Yes, you are. Come the fall... When that dead pig goes across the chalk line, carried by the guy that's got the same color jersey on that you do, you are very Pentecostal. You can do this. I've seen you do it before. And you're in a church where we don't all worship the same. There's a lot of different kinds of worship that goes on in this church. Not all of us worship with the same style. And when the praise team comes up here at the end of service, not just today, but every time, when they come up at the end of service, you ought to find a way that you are comfortable expressing your worship. 
It's important for you to worship. It's not important for you to watch me worship. It's important for you to find a way where you can express your own worship. If you want to come forward and kneel, do it. Nobody's going to think less of you for coming up. If you want to just raise your hands, and raise your hands. If you want to turn around and put your face into the seat and just talk to God and be in His presence, you can do that too. Feel free. If you want to clap, you can clap. If you want to cheer, you can cheer. This is a church where whatever you want to do as a free expression, get it off your chest. That's fine. And there's different teams of worshipers. And sometimes if you come to the same church long enough, you'll migrate around and find your team. Because you want to be around your teammates. You may not want to be around somebody that's on the other team. Because some of you are just beginners. We call that a rookie move. Then you graduate from that. Comedian said, This is carried the TV. <laughs> then you go widescreen. You're getting a little closer. And then, and, then, and then some of you, some of you have been around long enough that other people have rubbed off on you. You do the Mufasa. <laughs> and, then, and then some of you, some of you are almost Pentecostal because you've got the one hand. But you're scared what might happen if you put both hands in the air. And so the goal, the goal is to get us all right here. <laughs> because this, this is where we're the freest. This is where we've got our hands raised to God. We've got them exposed to him saying, God, I hold nothing back. I fully surrender to you. This is how we cry, Abba, Father. You ever saw little Maya come up to, or, or little Ezra come up to his mama or daddy? Their hands are raised and they've got their palms open. That's them saying, I want to be picked up. I want to be in your embrace. I want to feel safe with you. And that's what God sees when we lift our hands in worship. He sees us saying, I surrender to you, Abba, Father. I see, I want to be in your lap. I want you to set me up in your bosom and hold me tight. And that's what he sees when we do that. Amen. So that's, that's the importance of worship. Another thing when it comes to singing, singing is a way of celebrating. Now, I'm going to drop a truth bomb on you, and some of you don't know me, so I hope you'll receive this the right way. But the kingdom of God is a party. People that think being a Christian is bored is doing it wrong. I will tell you this, religion is boring. That's why we don't try to set an atmosphere of religion in here. But if you go and read about the parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, a lot of them are about parties and celebrations. And in the Old Testament, God tended to show up when there was a feast and a party and a celebration going on in his honor. So when we get together on Sundays, we are throwing a party asking God to show up. Amen. It's a family reunion every Sunday. We plug the band in and we throw a party. In the south, we called it a shindig. And what we're doing is we're singing praises about his provision and what we're expecting him to do. We're, we're expecting God to provide something that we can't provide for ourselves, so we are singing praises to that end. We at this church, we like to throw parties for kids. Yeah, we want to celebrate kids. 
You, you want to know why? Because we want kids to come to church on Sunday and say, God is awesome and church is fun. Yeah, we're going to teach them about Jesus. Yeah, there's got to be a lesson attached to it, and there's got to be some word attached to it. But I remember the days of being strapped into a seat in a Sunday school class with an 80-year-old grandma who was mean as a junkyard dog, and I dared not squirm, blink an eye, twitch, for fear I was going to get the leather strap. And, and I learned, I guess, some stories about Jesus, but I did not think church was very fun. The fun part was children's church when they broke out the cookies and the Kool-Aid. And yeah, we got to teach them about Jesus, but I want children to get up on Sunday morning, come jump in your bed and say, get up, it's time for church. I want to go to church. And we have, we're going to have in, in the summer, later on this summer, you don't know this yet, but I'm getting ready to do a series called That Church. And, and on, on the last service, we're going to have a block party. And, and we're going to have inflatables, and we're going to have a food truck, and, and ice cream stuff. And, and we're going to, because that's what families do. To, they get together, and they, they celebrate. And, and, and people say, well, well, what about, you know, if people show up that's not part of the family? Pray to God they do. Because that's what we... <laughs> In the kingdom of God, we know that Christians fund the kingdom because sinners are not going to pay for it, but they might show up and say, hey, these people are all right because they have fun and celebrate Jesus. Amen? As a matter of fact, I, I want people to come to this church, and I want them to look around the room and say, do these people live on the same planet that I do? Because they're joyful and they're cheerful and they're singing and they're praying and they're holding hands and they seem pretty happy. How come they're not miserable like we are? Well, maybe it's because we have found that there's a relationship beyond this world and that my God is above all, through all, and in all, and above my problems. And when I get together on Sunday morning with my brothers and sisters, it is time to party in the name of Jesus. Listen, there's enough stuff out there to bring me down. When I come in the house of God, I need to throw my hands in the air, not care if I'm the only one singing praises, and give him some glory. Amen. And then lastly, when it comes to singing, singing is a way of processing. I told you a few weeks ago, I'm a verbal processor. Where's my wife out? Because I'm a verbal processor. She's a limited hearer. So I want to talk about things to make sense of it. She checks out after like word three. I can see that the lights are on, but nobody's home anymore. And I can't help myself. I have to keep talking because she thinks I'm talking for her to hear it. I'm actually talking because I need to hear me say it because as I hear myself, I process it. Are there any verbal processors in the room? Yeah, so she can go ahead and take a nap. I'm just going to keep on talking because I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not trying to make sense to her. I'm trying to make sense to me. And, and so, so uh, singing is a way you process. So when I ask the praise team to come up at the end of this service, when you sing with them, when, when, when you start, you're verbally processing what I have preached into you. See, I can set the table, but you have to eat it. And you have to digest it. And you have to get the proper nourishment out of the Word. And that's how you do it at the end of service. If you pray or if you sing, what you're doing is you're verbally processing everything that I just spoke into your spirit. So you have to know what to do with it. Because I can preach myself until my voice box jumps out and hangs off my lapel. And it won't help you until you learn how to process what it is that you heard. Faith cometh by and hearing by the... 
Word of God. So I put it out there, but you have to make it faith. Hey, you're surrounded by word, but you have to make it faith. Let's, look, let's meet the next person in our family photo. This one's called Ouchie. How many of you right now woke up with some sort of pain? Yeah, we call that days that end in Y, right? <laughs> When's the last time? <laughs> How many people didn't wake up with some kind of pain this morning? Let's see them hands. I bet that's a shorter list. Yeah, there we go. Uh-huh. It, listen to what he says in beginning with verse 14. The Bible says, Are any of you sick? You should... Now, what did he say in verse 13? If any of you are suffering, pray. Pray for yourself. Notice what happens here in verse 14. Any of you sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. I'm going to stop right there because the rest of that is going to be another person. We all live in a broken world. How do we know the world's broke? Well, for one thing, because there's so much sickness in the world. For the past two years, the most talked about issue on the planet has been sickness. It's been the world just trying to avoid getting sick, deal with being sick, or end sickness, or deal with somebody who got sick and passed away. Amen? That's been, the, that's been the common theme on this planet for two years. This has not just been a national problem, it's been an international thing. And we've all been trying to talk about, deal with sickness. Jesus Christ comes 2,000 years ago, and we call him the great physician. 27 times he healed individual people, which is amazing. 10 times the Bible says he healed entire groups of people. And in addition, the Bible says in the book of John that he healed a whole lot of other people that we don't even know about. Because if they started writing it all down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain all the things that Jesus had done. But that's not the end of the story, right? Because Jesus dies, he rises again, and then the Bible says in the book of Acts, he went back to heaven. So then the question doesn't become, does Jesus heal? The question becomes, if Jesus is up there, can he still heal down here? We know he's the great physician. We know he's the healer. But can he heal when I'm here and he's there? So the book of Acts picks up the story. It says the Holy Spirit came, filled the believers, and by the way, the book of Acts is written by Luke. Luke was a physician. So when Luke writes down that people got healed, it is the testimony of not some fisherman, but of somebody who was a healer, some, some physician themselves. So when Luke writes down that people were healed, as a matter of fact, 12 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts shows people that getting healed in some form or fashion. Now the problem that we have in the church world is this, and I don't know your backgrounds. Many of you, we just met for the first time this morning. Some of you I don't know well. But there is, a, there is two common problems in the church world as it pertains to healing. Are you ready for this? Do you love me? If you don't know me yet, I hope you don't get offended by this, but there's two common problems that has been uh, very prominent in the church world. The first problem is there are churches and preachers that preach that God doesn't heal anymore. 
that the, that the miracles of the, Old, of the New Testament have stopped because of the apostles being dead and the church no longer needing the miracles because we have the Word of God. But that's not true. Because the Bible says God's the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he, if he was a healer then, then he's a healer now. Now the next problematic teaching about healing is the exact opposite of this. And that is that God must heal you if you make him. That if you say the right prayer... Act right, talk right, believe right, belong to the right church, go see the right preacher, have the right hands laid on you, that God has to heal you. The best thing about being God is you don't have to do nothing because he's God. One of the perks of being God is that he is free to do what he wants to. But some people teach in church that if you have enough faith, if you believe enough, you'll be healed. And if you don't get healed... It's because you didn't have enough faith. I personally have always found that abusive. And the reason is, I can show you in the Bible where people got healed that had no faith. The Bible doesn't say they had any faith at all, but they got healed. And then I have personally stood by the bedside with people who I know personally had great faith, and they're not here anymore because they are now in heaven. And, and I watched them believe for a healing, and they didn't receive it the way I thought they would. Okay? So between these two polarities that either God no longer heals or God must heal, what James says is this, God can heal so let's pray and see what happens. This is what James says. He says, God is able to heal. We believe he's able to heal. So let's pray and ask him and see what happens. How many of you would testify by the raising of hand that you have been touched and healed by doctors? Or not by doctors, but by Jesus. Hold your hands up. Now all of you that are skeptical, look around this room. These are living, breathing testimonies that Jesus Christ is still a healer, even though he is not here on earth, but he is still healing bodies. So last week, James says, if you're suffering, pray for yourself. This week, he says, if you are sick, he wants you to do something different, right? He wants you to call the elders of the church and then do something really, really strange. He says, get some oil out. This is where the sermon's going to go off the rails. Because he said, get the oil out, have them anoint you with oil, and that prayer will heal the sick. Is that what he said? Now, this anointing of oil is very unusual. Nowhere in your Bible do you find where Jesus did it. Not, you don't read anywhere in the Bible that Jesus anointed anywhere with oil. And in Mark chapter 6, that's the only time you see that the apostles used it. And yet James says, when you bring people up to the front, call the elders of the church, and everybody pray for them and anoint them with oil. Now, what you have to know about oil is this. In this day, oil was used for a lot of things. Oil was not just kept in the cupboard until you got ready to fry fish. Oil was used... To, to, to cook, but it was also used to light lamps, and it was also used heavily in medicine. 
People would bind up wounds. When you read about the Good Samaritan and it says he bound up his wounds before he took him to the hotel, he used oil to clean the wounds because in those days uh, it was an antiseptic and people would use it because Walmart was closed and they couldn't get no Neosporin. So they would use oil. So what James is insinuating is that it's medicine. He says, bring them up front, use the medicine, but whatever the medicine won't work on, the prayers of the faithful and the prayers of the elders. See, he, see the Bible is not anti-medicine. Please don't let anybody tell you, don't take your high blood pressure. If you got high blood pressure, take your pills. Until the Lord sees fit to take care of that problem, you keep taking your pills. Don't let nobody tell you go home and throw your pills away that's in your cabinet because the Bible is not anti-medicine. The Bible is you use medicine, but there's some stuff that medicine won't take care of. There's some stuff that physicians can't fix, but the great physician is above all, in all, and through all, and God's got to answer to everything. And that's what he's insinuating here. He, 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 the question is not, does God heal his people? The question becomes, when does God heal his people? Amen? Some of you will get your healing in this life. All of us will get our healing when we go through those pearly gates. And we enter his presence because there's no sickness there. I thought I might get a hand clap of praise right there for some Pentecostal folks. So I love you. We got doctors and nurses all through this congregation, and I love you. I love you physical therapists. I saw Robbie Jr. outside. Uh, I see Jeep over here. I love you guys. I love you guys, but the truth of the matter is one day you can retire. There's coming a day when we won't need you to watch out for us no more. Write us no more scripts. When you get to heaven, there, there's not two lines, one going in and the other one for the vaccine. There's no line like that up there. <laughs> there no, nobody's walking in going, where do I get the vaccine? You'll be okay. Well, what about the booster? No, you don't need that here. Okay. Won't that be great? <laughs> no masks. Nowhere. They won't even exist in heaven. Okay? So, so one, one, of the benefits, one of the benefits of actually being in church instead of watching online is to be able to live out this verse. Bring you up to the front, have the elders of the church anoint you with oil. I can't do that for you when you're watching by live stream. That, that, listen, the Bible is very, very community-minded. Families get together. And so when James gives us instruction on how to heal the sick, he says this is how you do it. You can't stay on the outskirts always and get what you need. Sometimes you've got to press in. And if you get desperate enough, I promise you, you'll show up in person and you'll show up at the altar when it comes time for prayer. And, and let me tell you this. There's not a lot of places you can go to and get prayer. Like you don't go through Wendy's and say, I need a Baconator, a small chili, and some prayer. And the little kid at the other end will say, uh, we have Frosties. No, you come to church, this is where the family of God gets together, and we pray for you. Amen. That's what we, we, we gather together, and if you've got a need, we pray for that need. Amen. So the third person that we're going to talk about this morning in our family photo is messy. James is going to ask him. He, he don't really ask the question, but the question is implied. Are any of you sinning? And everybody's hands should go up. <laughs> Listen to what he says in verse 15. 
Such prayer offered at the faith will heal the sick. So we've dealt with that. That's ouchie. And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Verse 16 says, confess your sins. And the reason I'm laughing is because it seems preposterous. Because it doesn't say confess them to the priest. It doesn't say confess them to the bishop. It says talk to each other about what's wrong with you. Do you see that? Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's nuts. Confess your sins. You don't even want to tell me what you watched on TV last night. Like, we don't want to get into this. I'll tell you stuff, make your hair curl. I mean, can he possibly be telling us to pray with each other about what's broken each other? That's what he says. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Uh-huh. That little line there, pray for one another, that appears 56 times in the New Testament. You know why? Because Christianity is about one another. It's about family. It's about togetherness. The ecclesia, the called out ones. We are called to be a body, a family. The New Testament over and over again says pray for one another, forgive one another, love one another, serve one another. Why? Because we need one another. And he's constantly trying to cause us to come to this place where we realize I'm better together than I am alone. Now, those of you that haven't been through our Expand class, those of you that aren't, are, are new here, we have a core belief here at Promise of Victory. And that core belief is this. We are a church where everybody's somebody. Nobody is perfect, and anything is possible. That's our core beliefs here at Promise of Victory. And, and, and nobody's perfect. From the pulpit to the pew, nobody is perfect. And we don't, we don't want to foster a religious environment, because I've been there. I've preached it. I've believed it, and I've lived it. But I realize that religion hurts people. Relationship is what brings people healing. So we as a church do not want to foster a religious environment. We want a relational environment. We don't want to beat you down because of what you did. We want to build you up so you will stop doing it because you fall in love with the one who already paid the penalty for all that stuff you're doing. Amen? We don't want to just pour guilt on you. We want to do what God does and pour grace on you until you get rid of that mess that you're carrying around. Because I got news for you. We all have secret struggles. Oh, that's the best kept secret in the church. We all got some stuff that we wish we didn't have to deal with. We, we all have some days where we are not the best version of ourselves. Can somebody say amen? So we can just finally be honest in the house of God. And when it says here to just confess to one another, it says that when you do that, it produces healing. So generally speaking, the reason that there's so much sickness and brokenness in the world is because of sin. Sin's the cause of all of it. 
So the curses that come is from a flawed and broken world, and that's never going to change until the king returns. And then he'll lift the curse and heal the land. We're living under a curse. Last week, James pointed out this guy named Job, remember? And he said Job went through a lot of difficulties in his life. He, I mean, he really went through hell on earth. Amen. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong for Brother Job. And what he said was this. Job was righteous. So Job's problems was not affiliated with his sin. So just because somebody is struggling, just because somebody's suffering, it may not be caused by sin. But sometimes, sometimes it is. Yeah, sometimes the decisions we make cause the pain that we have to deal with. Let me prove it to you. It can happen to you physically. Sinning is disobedience to God. That means you disregard what God says. God says no, you say yes. God says yes, you say I'm going to do it my way. So when you disobey the Bible, will you abuse and break your body? Sure can. You don't believe me? Bible says don't get drunk as of with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. If you keep getting drunk, will you break your body? Yeah, with your car and your house and your family and your finance. Yeah, you'll break a whole lot of stuff. And is it God's fault? No, he told you not to do it. How about this? Well, I'm going to... How about when the Bible says, don't be a glutton? If you, if you ignore all the nutrition facts that you have in your life, will you break your body? Sure will. And your buttons. How about when we don't remain uh, chaste before marriage? Do, do you realize, and I'm not trying to get gross or uh, enigmatic here, but do you realize there would be no, zero, none STDs on the planet if we all followed God's plan? They wouldn't exist. Because if it was just one man, one woman forever, but they wouldn't exist. But because of, uh, because of sin... Because of bad choices, we have brought physical problems on our own selves. How about this one? People don't believe it, but holding on to bitterness? Now, the Bible says don't do it. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, don't allow bitterness to take a root in you. And medical science in the last decade have come out and said, you know what? People that hold grudges and are unforgiving uh, have ulcers. They have high blood pressure. They have insomnia, can't sleep well at night. They're always uh, 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 battling the, the, the depression, and they're always overeating. Why? Because God told you to let that stuff go. Because sickness to the soul ends up being sickness to the body because they're interconnected with one another. I'm going to just say it like this. A sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. I grew up in a church that thought if you sinned, you backslid. Well, I found out that, that Paul tells it different. He says you can be carnal. And a carnal Christian is a miserable Christian. A sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. They're never going to be happy. We got happy, we got ouchy. This is messy. Amen. So, all of a sudden... We've got mental problems, we've got emotional problems, we've got physical problems, and we've got spiritual problems, all caused by sin. And what he says here is when you have all these problems that's been brought on by sin, invite some people in and confess them to one another. He says pray with each other, sing together, and now confess together. 
That sounds like a family, don't it? That sounds like something you'd only do with people that are, you're intimate with. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask one of the ushers to come and get the microphone, and we're just going to start passing it around. we got about 11 minutes, and you just start confessing all your sins. Who wants to go first? I mean, it's biblical. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, don't it? Don't James know I got a lot to confess? <laughs> and if I'm forced to confess to you, thank God there's no lie detector hooked up to me. Know what I mean? <laughs> now, if you grow up Catholic, and I know some of you did, uh, coming to church and confessing is not a foreign idea to you. It is to me. As a matter of fact, I grew up in the church where you didn't confess nothing. You lied every Sunday. I'm great. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. You didn't tell nobody nothing. I mean, you lied before you ever got into church because people would meet you at the door and say, How are you today? I am fantastic. My family is well. You just fought for 40 minutes before you got out of the house. You killed two of your children on the way to church. The Lord is good. I am too blessed to be stressed. Give me a break. No, we didn't confess nothing. We lied. Not sure we ever confessed and, and repented for all them lies we told. But I got to admit, I've always wanted to go in one of them confession booths, but some of my Catholic friends told me it's not as cool as it makes the movies make it look. I always just kind of wanted to go in there just to, you know, get some stuff off my chest, but... So what does James mean here when he says confess your sins one to another because obviously I didn't have any take. Anybody? Do I have to start calling you out? Holy Spirit, reveal to me who needs to come up here right now and confess to this body. Obviously it's kind of ridiculous to think that we would just come up and start confessing our sins. As a matter of fact, it'd be pretty uncomfortable. Like, could you imagine? Like if we just had like open mic, just put it on a stand, and everybody just come up here and start talking about all the stuff they did forever. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I want to be, that, that make me uncomfortable, and I it ain't even about me, Right? So, so, so what's going on here? What is James actually talking about when he says confess your sins? What he's talking about is that we're a family. And within a family, you ought to be developing relationships with people that you are comfortable revealing yourself to. And, and by the way, when, you, when, we talk about, when we talk about sin, we're not necessarily confessing every single sin, thanks be unto God. But what's really as important is that you, you invite, maybe it's an accountability partner. Maybe it's a Christian counselor. Maybe it's just friends that you find in the congregation where you're able to say, you know what, I'm struggling right now and I really need prayer. Like, like you, don't have to go, you don't have to go into detail. You don't have to show them your journal. Like, you don't have to give them all the gory details. But it's people that you entrust. It's people that you invite in. What James said was call for. Did you hear it? He said, call for. In other words, you don't just let everybody pray over you. Some folks have stuff that you don't want prayed on to you. So you don't want just everybody laying hands on you. 
you, you, you pick who it is that you call up and you call for the elders and you pray. And that's why he said elders. Because there's some people in church, their prayer ain't going anywhere. So you call for the mature, that's not just old people, it's mature believers. You call for them, you anoint them with oil, and that prayer. Why that prayer? Because you confessed it. See, see, see the more intimate you get with God, the easier it should be to confess things. When, when I first got saved, I walked the aisle every Sunday night to get saved again, again. I did. Every Sunday night. I'd go out and sin during the week. And don't look at me in that tone of voice. I mean, I wasn't chasing other women and stuff. I gave all that stuff. I mean, I'm just talking about I would sin. I would, I would do small things, and I felt backslid and dirty. And every Sunday night, I'd come forward to get saved again, again. And, and because when you're a young Christian, you think repentance and confession is this big monumental thing. But when you're my age, you realize confession and repentance is sometimes several times a day. Oh, am I the only one? Me and Deidre, the only one. Listen, I'm so comfortable with God now, I just stop what I'm doing. Lord, please forgive me for the thought that I just had. Cause, and thank you for controlling my hand because I really wanted to slap the taste clean out of their mouth. And you and the Holy Ghost stop. <laughs> and the Lord is good. <laughs> And even though I had to get that off my chest, I'm not going to wait till I lay me down to sleep tonight prayer. I'm going to pray right now because I'm in the moment right now. And to be honest with you, I need help right now. And sometimes you need me to have help right now because I... <laughs> Thank God the Holy Ghost is in me. Be telling some... Tell you some stuff you don't know about yourself. And we, we pray constantly. Older, the more mature you get, the more intimate you get with God, the more it's easy to confess. Because here's the thing. I thought as a young Christian that when I became mature in my faith that I would be better. What I realized is I can never be better. And I just became more aware of how broken I am, how hopeless I am without Him, and how helpless I am to mature by myself. That's all I did. And now I'm more mature, and I'm constantly walking around going, God, you are good that I'm still alive, that my heart's still beating, that my lungs are still full of air, and that I have not done some of the things that have crossed my mind because some of the stuff that crossed my mind was not a good image of what you want me to be. And you didn't create me for this. You made me better than this. So, Lord, I, I ask that you forgive me for the thoughts, for the words, for the deeds. And I just do it several times a day, just cleansing myself out, just confessing myself. But if it gets to the point where that ain't enough, the Bible says you find some brothers and sisters in the family you get them to come forward, get the oil out and say, I'm struggling, I need some help. And then we ought to have enough connectivity with one another and with our Father that when we pray that prayer, that prayer, the one where you confessed, the one where we are invited in, and that prayer will give salvation to you. It'll heal your brokenness. It'll make you whole. We spend all of our Christian life trying to hide what God wants us to confess. We spend our whole Christian walk thinking, if I expose what's inside of me, they won't love me. When instead, it's the opposite way. If I expose what's inside of me, their love will be what brings my healing. I wish somebody would give God some praise. So thank God we ain't just exposing everything we said or done. It's not open mic night at Promise of Victory. No microphone required. Amen. So this is messy. 
This is messy. This is, this is when you come to somebody and say, hello, my name is Messy. I'm in this family, and you are too, and I appreciate you, and I believe you've got uh, a prayer life that is uh, able to help me and bring me through. Would you mind praying with me right now because I am struggling? You've got to find people that are safe, people that are godly, people that are for you, not against you, people that can keep confidences. That's why you don't invite everybody in. People that believes God has better for you than where you are. You need to go find happy. <laughs> go find happy. If happy knows how to pray, if they're not... Now, now, see, I like to stay what I call dumb and happy. I walk around this building all the time and they, people run up to me and say, Hey, pastor, where is... I have no idea. I'm dumb and happy. Because the more I, the more I uh, get exposed to, the more miserable I become. So I, I turn the news off. I'm dumb and happy. And, and, and you need to find happy that can pray because happy is encouraging you. Happy is causing you to feel good about yourself, saying you can do better than this because God created you for more than this. You shouldn't be down like that. Let's get you down to the altar and let's pray until God moves on your behalf. So, so you, don't, you don't invite everybody in, but you invite people in that want to walk you to freedom. Amen. And last but not least, and this is where I'm going to ask the praise team to come up because I told you at the end of service they're going to come up and you're going to find a way to sing, because that's what happy does. Our last character in our family photo this morning is weary. All right. Bible says in verse 16, Confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How many of you right now are willing to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not angry, I'm not anxious, I'm not afraid, I'm just tired. Look around this room. Look, look around this room. See, we don't talk about this. We don't talk. Confess your faults one to another and pray with each other. Why do you think we got so many hands in here? Because we've been hiding it. Because we're so uncomfortable revealing weaknesses to one another. That's not a family. Your family knows all the dirty on you. And you on them. Families are good at covering up stuff. You ever been to a funeral? There are more liars at a funeral than a prison. Every cousin is going to get up. Every auntie, every uncle going to get up and talk about what a great father he was. He hasn't seen his kids in 12 years. Ain't nobody tells the truth at the funeral because families just cover up for each other. That's what we do in the church. This is a family, and we all just come in, and we all just keep secrets. And we don't want anybody to let us know, I'm, I'm running on empty. I'm tired. I'm not anxious. I'm not afraid. I'm not living in fear. I'm just tired, man. I've just been beat from every direction. My family, my the news, the the COVID, the atmosphere, the political this and the jargon and the, I mean, just, I'm just tired. I love Jesus. I'm weary. That's why the Bible says we're supposed to come together. Because you and I are finite. We run out. There's only so much you have in you. And when you get to the end of your life energy, you need to get a fill up from somewhere. That's why you all need to maybe come in weary but leave happy. Amen. 
You can come in weary, but you'll stay that way because when you come into this place, you ought to fill back up on what it is that you ran out of. All the, all the mess of the world shouldn't exist in this atmosphere. That's why we lift praises to King Jesus. That's why we talk, and that's why we look at each other and say, and we have people outside holding signs that says, you look great today. You're welcome here. Thank you for coming. We enjoy you being here. Why do we do that? Because we want to fill you back up on what the world has sucked out of you all week. So it's okay for you to come in weary, but I want you to leave happy. I give you the word because the word is life. It shows you where you're wrong and shows you how to make a correction, not so we can feel miserable and guilty, but so that we can rejoice in the Lord forevermore. The word and the worship is what brings us to peace, to infilling. Can I tell you something? You need to learn how to operate. I'm working on a sermon right now about the rhythm of life. And I just feel like I need to share something with somebody because you need to realize that you have rhythms that God intended for you. Okay? God says work six days and take a day off. Hello? You know why? Because you need it. You're human. I have lived under the idea for 23 years that I'll quit working when I finish work. And 23 years later, I'm tired, I'm weary, and I still got as much work as I did when I started. And I'm finding out that because I break the Sabbath, the Sabbath is breaking me. I'm tireder now than I've ever been, and there's no excuse for it, other than I think I'm supposed to work all the time. I have a hard time relaxing. I, I, I don't know what's on TV. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what these shows people talk about. Hey, have you saw season something? I ain't saw nothing. Like, I'll turn the TV on just in the background to have noise while I'm tippity-tapping and working on something. And I work all the time. And God didn't intend for us to do that. He said, take a Sabbath. You need a day off every week. And I fight the impulse. I do. I fight the impulse that relaxation is a sin. I, I put my feet up and I feel guilty. I'll get 15, 20 minutes into a movie. I'm like, my God, I could be doing something. I have a hard time. I should be outside doing the grass, or I should be at the church doing the sermon, or I should be down to, in the basement. I remember I had this leak down in the basement. I'll be down there fixing it. It's always something. What I realized is I'll never get called up. No wonder we're weary. We're just running ourselves empty all the time. We, we have glamorized overworking instead of God's plan, which is to have a Sabbath every week. Listen. I've got a degree from, I've got a degree in theology. I've got all kinds of books in my library, both upstairs, over here, and at my house. I've never saw one commentary that had a whole chapter on the naps of Jesus. But they should, because Jesus took naps. WWJD, what would Jesus do? He'd get Peter's net, make a hammock out of it, and wear that thing out. That's what Jesus would do. He'd take a nap. He'd take some relaxation. When they were looking for Jesus, a lot of times he was asleep. I ain't even got time to get into it, but think about it. When the disciples was freaking out, when they were weary, when they were full of fear and anxiety, where was Jesus? He was asleep. Because sometimes the only thing you need is some time off to recharge. 
You think you need 50 prayer partners to lay hands on you? You think you need to fall out on the floor and leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling? That is not what you need. Sometimes you just need a nap. Sometimes you need to just shut everything down for a minute and just, <sighs> me and Jesus just going to take a, a sabbatical right here. You just need to, to recharge. And you, you, you would be amazed, and I'll get into a sermon later on in the summer about this, You'd be amazed at how better you'll feel just by simply letting the Holy Ghost recharge what you ran dead. And to be honest with you, I know I'm talking to a whole lot of people in this room who take better care of your car than you do your soul. You won't allow your car to get below a half a tank, especially now. It takes $9,000 to fill it back up if it's empty. Some of you won't let your car get 3,001 miles over before you'll change the oil. Some of you rotate your tires. You don't care if you're on the side of the road. When it's 500 miles, you pull over and rotate them tires. Some of you know exactly right now while I'm preaching to you, you know exactly how much charge your phone has on it. Because if it gets below 10%, panic mode, anybody got a charger? But you don't know how much charge your soul has left. You've taken better care of instruments that are supposed to bless you than the one thing you can't replace, which is your soul. Is anybody weary? Let's stand today and as they lead us, we don't listen to them. They're not entertaining us. They're going to help take us from being weary to happy. Are you happy? You ought to sing praises. If you're weary, it's a good philosophy to just go ahead and sing some praise. And watch what the Holy Ghost does when He begins to fill you back up. They're not here to entertain you. You're part of the band. You're part of the praise team. You're not their audience. He is all of our audience. So as they lead us, I want you to listen. However you feel comfortable. I told you there's a lot of different people in here and you express worship different ways. However you feel comfortable expressing your worship. If you want to come kneel in the front, come on. If you want to raise your hands, you want to spin around in circles, you want to jump up, whatever whatever feels comfortable to you. You want to make an altar at your seat and just talk to God. I, it's all welcome here. But as they praise, I want you to join in somehow, some way. And tell me, tell me if weary don't turn into happy before you leave here. Because that's what we came here to do today. God bless you.